Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. Joey. So it's been said a couple of times, my name is David. I'm one of the pastors here. For those of you who don't know me, uh, it is a privilege to get to preach to you guys today. This was not the plan, though. Corey was up to preach, and I was heading to Breeze to go preach there. And uh, at 11 o'clock on Friday morning, got a text message, Corey's sick. So me and Jeff got a text message like, I'm not going to prolong this. There's too many moving parts this week. David, you're up. So I was like, oh, all right. That means I'm writing a new sermon because what I was going to preach in Breeze is not what I'm preaching today. It would not, have, it would not make sense here. So why, there, why I was going to Breeze, I want to mention this. This is so important, and it's going to talk about it next week, and we still may talk about it next week. Um, when we merged our churches together, and we talked about that a lot, the, the goal was that we would be more equipped to plant more churches. But also, we wanted to be able to help replant churches, and be a resource and a tool so that we can see the gospel spread throughout the whole St. Louis region, specifically the Metro East. Like That's our heart, is to see that happen. And we shared a ton of that last night in our Covenant member party of what that looks like and what God's allowing us to do. But about a month and a half, two months ago, I got a phone call from someone saying, hey, we've got a situation here as a church that, that needs to be helped. To be replanted, just to bring health and stability to it, would Heights be in? And we said, yes, we would. And I've got to meet with them, and, and I'm supposed to go there to preach today, cast vision to them and talk about that, and we're going to do that after service. And so I thank them for like making the trek all the way here from Breeze, because it's not a short drive. Um, but what we're going to do right now is we're going to pray for them, we're going to pray for us, we're gonna, and, and I'm going to ask you to continue to be praying for them and to see that the gospel goes forth throughout Breeze and that, that community there. Um, so let's pray. God, I thank you that you continue to bring your people together, regardless of where we live. Lord, you bring us together to be your church. Um, it is not about Heights. It is not about Breeze community. It's not about any other church, Lord. It is about you, Jesus, and being your body. So God, I pray that you continue to unite us together around the gospel. Lord, I pray that you use us to, to encourage them, to build them up, and God, and, and then in return, Lord, that we are built up, that we are encouraged by them. So God, I just pray that this partnership that you've placed before us, God, that it is a beautiful thing, and that through it, that your name will be glorified and breeze, and that whole area there, Lord. So God, we, just, we thank you for that. We thank you for allowing me to preach, and God, we pray that it glorifies you to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so on New Year's Day, we, we had an evening service, and Jeff led us through just all this, why we do what we do, liturgy, a call to confession, assurance of pardon, all those things, and we just talked about what worship is, and it, it was so cool. And then last week, Corey got to dig in, and we're, we're calling this sermon series Doxology. He got to dig into prayer. And as he was breaking down what is doxology, he said doxa is, is praise, and logos, or lology, would be 
the word. So this is using word to praise God. I dug in deeper and John Piper, he says this about doxology, that it's the word that describes glory to God. So a word that describes glory to God. That is the point of our worship, whether it's through prayer, through preaching, through the reading of God's word, whatever it is, our, our, our heartbeat, our desire is to ascribe glory to God. That is it. There's no other purpose. Anything else we do for any other purpose would just be a waste of our time. So God, his desire is for us to know him. That's it. That is his ultimate desire, for us to know him and then to glorify him to the whole world, throughout all of creation. And so there's a multitude of methods that he does to make this possible. Like He doesn't just say, well, go and figure it out. He gives us all these different ways that we can do this. And one of those ways is theology. So you get that from the study of his word. You can learn a lot about God through theology. That's the whole idea of theology is knowing God. It's a study of God. Our theology then should affect our worship. Our theology should affect our doxology. What you know about God, what resonates in you, should affect how you sing, how you pray, how you listen to preaching. All of it. If you come here and you're like, I don't understand why these people are raising their hands. They look weird. That's cool. You can think we look weird, but it's because we understand the weightiness of what God has done for us, that we're in utter surrender to him. We're saying, God, I'm surrendering all to you. I'm singing praises to you. I'm not just singing a song because it's what they threw on the screen. I'm singing it because I love him, because I know him, and he has done so much for me that I could never fully comprehend until we're in glory for all eternity. And so with our worship of God, it should be rooted in, in our theology, and so then at Heights, our desire is this, is that everything that we do is rooted in a proper theology and a proper doctrine. So Sunday mornings, yes, from our liturgy to our songs to the preaching to what's being taught in the kids, all of it. But then throughout the week, like in our missional communities, like we don't want to just do whatever. We don't want just anything taught about. That's why we are so like, focused in on missional communities being the primary way that we make disciples, and we're always trying to make sure like, that the health of our missional communities are healthy, that the, the topics that they're covering, the um, curriculum they're going over, whatever they're using, whether it's Right Now Media or Gospel Center Life Book, whatever it is that is focused in on who Jesus really is, this proper theology, pop, proper doctrine, so then that it will drive our worship of God. And our worship of God is not just singing songs. It's everything that we do, right? Like it's how we make disciples. It's our evangelism. It's how we live our lives. So why am I talking so much? If I'm going to preach about preaching, as Tim said, why am I harping so much on this idea about scripture and its importance and doctrine? Well, Jeff shared part of it in 2 Timothy 3 when he talked about our, in our liturgy. He says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is hard for some people to believe that all Scripture is breathed out by God, that it's profitable, because people want then to doubt the accuracy of God. They want to doubt the accuracy of His Word. They say, well, I don't know if it's all true. There's parts of it that are true, but I don't know about some of those pieces in there that's a little outdated, that's from thousands and thousands of years ago, so I'm, I don't know if I'm going to follow that part. And really what we're saying is I know better than God. I know better than him. I don't need to follow that. That part he didn't really mean or culture shifted enough that I'm just going to shift away from that. 
And that's not some what he's calling us to. The Bible is accurate. It is so accurate that through very much research by historians, the Smithsonian did a study that showed that over the 3,500 years they can trace back to original text, that there's less than 0.1% variance or error from the original text of the Bible that we have today. And most of those are punctuations like commas and semicolons. And I'm just going to guess, if you're anything like me, you don't even know where to use a comma or semicolon anyway. I have no idea. Like, there's no, this is how I do my notes. I handwrite them. There's no semicolons in this nonsense. It's just madness that came from my brain to this iPad. I don't know how to use semicolons. So if they didn't use a semicolon to write in the Bible, I wouldn't even know. I wouldn't even care. The point of it is, is that the Bible is true. And then people, well, what about the different translations? Listen, it doesn't matter if your Bible says thou or you. It's still about Jesus. The gospel is the gospel. There's not another piece of written literature that can have this claim. It is miraculous that over all these years that God's sovereignty has kept his word true. So again, why I cover all this? Why I cover all this for a sermon concerning preaching? Because I want you to sit in the weightiness of what happens. Not just because of me, but there's a weight of preaching. But it also bears on you. Because All of us have then a responsibility. We have a responsibility to say, is what is being preached accurate? Is it true? And I would say yes to each and every one of you, especially those of you who are covenant members in this church. You have a responsibility to hold me, Corey, or whoever else is up here accountable to what we preach. If we are preaching something that is not in the Bible, if we're taking something out of context, if we're preaching false doctrine, false theology, you are to call us out. Literally, I had made one missed word after, in my first service. I said, in the first service, I said, if you're about Jesus, this is the church for you. If you're not about Jesus, this is not for you. And as soon as I got down off stage and, and, and the service cleared, Tim Gray said, hey, I don't think you meant it that way because something, if, if someone's not about Jesus, this is still a church for them, right? And I'm like, yeah, 100%. He's like, okay, well, you just said it weird. And I was like, oh, okay. But Tim, Say, hey, just watch what you said because you didn't say that 100% accurate in the way you meant it. I know your heart, so I know you didn't mean that you don't want someone whose life's not about Jesus now to not be here. See, this is what it says in Romans 16, 17 through 19. I appeal to you, brothers. So Paul is writing to the church, to these believers. He says, to watch out for those who cause divisions, create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive, for your obedience is known to all. So I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent, as to what is evil. There's this calling for each and every one of you to know what is being taught, not just from this pulpit, for preaching, but for the liturgy that our worship team shares, to what's being taught to your kids back in that room. It's important. Because if you think that we're just going to make disciples of you and you don't have to do anything else and we're going to make disciples of your kids and you don't need to do anything at home, you've missed it. You've missed it. So let's dig into this text now that we've set the table why preaching is so important. And the first point is this, head, heart, and soul. And much of what Paul, he's written to Timothy up to this point, he's warning them. Like there's the, like literally the heading above uh, chapter three in my Bible says, godlessness in the last days. There's going to be this 
attitude of anything goes. There's going to be no truth is truth. Does it sound familiar to you? It's the culture that we very much live in today, that your truth can be your truth, and whatever you want to believe can be what you believe. You can basically do whatever you want, say whatever you want. None of it matters, and if you don't like what I believe, I'll just cancel you. So he's encouraging Timothy to continue in what he has learned. Continue in what he's learned. He literally says, he says, but as for you, continue in what you've learned. His mom and grandma had trained Timothy up from the time he was a young child in the ways of the word, in the ways of God. Like his father was not a believer, but his mom and grandma were, and they trained him up. And, he, and Paul's saying, Timothy, stick to that. Just keep doing it. Just keep taking it into your head. Just soak it in. Just soak it all in. And, but not just to learn it for no reason, because he says then, and have firmly believed Here's the deal. Timothy had been getting taught stuff since he had been a child, but he firmly believed it, and Paul knew that. He knew that, that Timothy believed it with all of his heart. See, learning is in the head, and we hear information, we take it in, and we process it with our brain, but for us to be convinced of it, to really to believe this gospel story, it's our hearts. It's penetrated our hearts. It's the foundation of who we are as believers. If the gospel is just head knowledge for you, you are no different than the demons. The Bible says that demons believe in God and they shudder in fear. So what? You believe there's a God. Well, that doesn't make any difference for you. If you don't believe the gospel and it's changed your heart, you are not saved. You are not a Christian. You will die and go to hell. Plain and simple. I don't say it to be mean. I say it to be loving because it's the truth. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and then believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. That is the first step to salvation. You get justified. That's where Corey will always tell you, he's like, bam, the Holy Spirit just hits you, right? Like that's what Corey always says. Like when he talks about it, just the gospel just gets you and then the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He's in you, dwelling in you. Then the next part is sanctification. That's the hard part. That's the difficult part. And then in the end is glorification. It's coming, it's coming. And so when he says, for with the heart one believes, that's why Paul's saying, you firmly believed it. It's in the heart. But then he goes on, and, and Paul says that you've been acquainted since you've been a child with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. It is not that the Bible saves you, and yet it is, because who is the Bible? It's the Word. The Word is God. The Word is Jesus. The Word put on flesh. And so he's saying, it's your head, it's your heart, it's your soul. With everything in you, like if you're going to stand up here and you're going to preach, if you're going to go back there and, and, and teach kids, if you're going to do anything on this stage, it has to, it has to like completely just grab a hold of every part of you and consumed you. So do you believe it in your heart, the one that you believe, believe that God has done all this? I want to firm, firmly believe it. There's days I'll, I'll waver. There's days, there's weeks, months where I'll just go dry. And, but I was standing, it was one of the last sermons that I got to preach at, at our last building. And I was standing in the front row, and I was like, I don't know why. I was just, I, I was struggling. Like, am I believable when I stand up there and preach? Like, do people actually think I believe this? Or they think, this dude's such a loser. Like, he needs to shut up. 
I don't know. I just did, I was in one of my moods. I was all self-pity. And so service is over, and I'm standing out on the steps there in front of the building. And there's a homeless guy that had came to the service. And I, like I said, I was already up in my feelings. I was being a jerk, and he starts talking to me. And I'm like, dude, you reek of alcohol. I don't have time for this right now. Like, I just, I got, you know, I don't know. I was just I was being a butt. And so... But he starts talking. He's like, man, I think I know you. I was like, nope. Never met you before in my life. He's like, man, but your voice, that's like I've heard it like a million times. I'm like, that's weird, dude, because I've never talked to you. And I'm being like really nice. And he goes, I just want you to know, man, you're so, you're so believable up there. You believe every word you're saying, don't you? And I'm like, okay, God, I hear you. Oh, shut up. So like I was being a jerk, and God's like, hey, this is probably the best compliment I've ever got. I mean, people are like, hey, great sermon, good job. Thanks, David, for, you know, sharing the word today. But that was probably the best compliment I've ever had. Like, you believe every word you're preaching, don't you? I'm like, yeah, I really do. I don't always live it out perfectly, but I really do believe it 100%. Like, and so for you, do you believe it 100%? Because if so, then you're not just responsible then to hold myself and Corey and anyone else accountable for our use of scripture, our doctrine, our theology. But it has to have grasped you to do so. Has, has it grasped your head, your heart, your soul? Has it taken you over? And you're like, I know this. Because then you're holding yourself accountable on how you live your life. See, Paul, he didn't tell Timothy to, to be trendy. He didn't tell him to find some cool hip sermon series that's going to attract a crowd. He didn't say, hey, people are going to kind of, you know, go on vacation over to Jerusalem um, in the summer, so you're going to need to find, like, some sermon series that are really, like, a cool summer ser- sermon series, or people might not come because they're going to be on vacation, so you really need to make it cool. He didn't say any of that. He just said, cling to the scriptures. All scriptures breathe out by God. He's like, just do it. Like, this is, this is it. This is so important. And what I think is so neat about this and why it's so important that we preach through books of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, is this. is when he says to him, he goes, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay? Through faith in Christ Jesus. At this time, when this is written, the New Testament was not collected as a book yet. There were some writings by different apostles and different writers, but there was no collection of the New Testament at this point. So for him to say that you've been acquainted with the sacred uh, writings, he's talking about the Old Testament. From cover to cover, it's about Jesus. How else are you going to come to faith from the sacred writings unless you're looking at Jesus through the Old Testament. So when we read the Bible, when we teach the Bible, when we preach the Bible, it's got to be with this gospel-centered lens that, man, that's about Jesus, that's about Jesus, it's about Jesus. It's all about him. If it's ever about anything else, we're wasting our time. All of Scripture points to him. It's sufficient to lead to salvation because of him, not because of some flattering speech or some, you know, smart theology that I could try to throw out there. None of that. See, this world, it's ever-shifting with culture. You guys know that. I don't have to tell you that. I think you see it in your just daily life. You turn on the news, and there's a new fad, there's a new trend. Someone else has been canceled. Something new is in, it's out. It doesn't matter. Like, it's always changing. And what is tempting is to waver at times and to teach in a way that appeases the masses, keeps people happy, doesn't ruffle anyone's feathers, 
The, temp- the temptation comes in. You're like, man, like, I don't really want to tick everybody off if I say this. But we cannot waver. We have to take what's in our heads, our hearts, our souls, consume it. Literally consume it. Every bit of us. Like Darren Patrick, a, a pastor who planted a church in St. Louis and just did amazing things through Acts 29. Uh, he said before, his, before he passed a couple years ago, he said that we have to take it in our hearts. We have to take this right here, this Bible, take it into our hearts, consume it, let it get it all up in us, and then it can come out. Then it can come out. Like it has to be something we consume, and then we can take it to the masses. And why would we do this? Because all scripture is used to shape the people of God. All scripture. There's none of this that's like not worthwhile to, to read. It's all matters. So Paul continues in this letter to Timothy. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness. So the very voice that spoke all things into existence spoke through biblical writers, not authors, biblical writers, to pen his holy word. The reason I say writers and not authors is because Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, is the author. He authored this book from beginning to end through men whom he decided to inspire to write it. They're just writing down what he told them. Whether it's accounting for creation or Peter, or, or uh, I mean, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John giving accounts of Jesus' life. He's the writing with the Holy Spirit inspired them to write. So think about this. The Bible, it's not just some leather and paper, but it is literally God's word, which is Jesus. It says in, in John 1, 1 through 3, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The very God who created all things has this word for us. He breathed it out. That's why it's perfect. It's without error. It's without fail. There's nothing wrong with it. Even if it goes against our culture, it is still true to the very, very end. And so some might wonder, well, how can the Bible be profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness? That's a lot. This old book can do that? Yeah. Because it's Jesus. I mean, if he's powerful enough to save us, then he's powerful enough to sanctify us. So he uses his word to do so. So we've already talked about it. When God saves us, he justifies us. It means you've been made just before him. He's the judge. And so he's saying, no longer are you found guilty of your sins. You're justified. You're clear of your sins because of Jesus. We literally sang the song about it. Like he has washed our sins away. His blood has washed our sins away. And so then one of the huge ways I think God sanctifies us is through the teaching and the preaching of his word. Now, this does not take away your responsibility to be in his word. If you're just sitting here, and this is the only time you hear the Bible at all, or anytime you open it on your phone or in a, in a physical Bible, then that's not good. It's not healthy. You need to be in the Bible yourself, reading it for yourself, so you can take it in. Like the Holy Spirit's going to talk to you and reveal things to you that I'm not going to reveal. I'm just pouring out what I've been taking in over really just five hours. Normally I would say over a week, but not this week. It was from Friday at noon till yesterday at 2.30. That's, that's it. And I didn't even know what text I was preaching until yesterday morning. So that's it. So when we preach, we have to do these things. We have to come to you and actually do this. We have to teach. We have to reproof. We have to correct. 
Teaching the Word of God is explaining it to you. Like, we can't just come up here and start saying stuff and give you no context. There's a reason why Paul wrote a letter to Timothy. There's a reason why he wrote a letter to, to the church in Colossae. There's a reason why they wrote all these things that they wrote. We got to give you the context. We got to tell you what was going on in Corinth when he wrote the first letter. What was going on in Corinth when he wrote the second letter. We got to explain those things and teach them to you so you can understand them. But then we got to re- rebuke some stuff. We have to correct it. Sometimes there's just false beliefs out there that's getting peddled to people, and we got to correct that. We got to fix it. Sometimes we got to rebuke us as a whole church because we've strayed away and we've started to live in sin. If we're not willing to do that, then we're going to be poor preachers. We don't have to sit down, just hang it up. It's okay. Like, none of it is ever to do it in a mean way. So we have to make sure that we're never validating our own sin or your sin. We have to be willing to do what we're called to do because though Paul is the one writing this, God is the one authoring it. And he's saying, hey, do this, do this. But why? So that we can be training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Well, we all know, or hopefully you know, bless you, that if you're a Christian, and God has prepared good works for you to walk in before time even began. So he wants to continue to train you up in righteousness so that you're equipped to do those good works that he's already prepared for you to do. And so what does it look like to be righteous? Why well, worry that as an American Christians, we've taken and reduced this righteousness to some moral standards, some moral sets that we say, this is what we do. And if I do this, then I'm a righteous person. Here's the problem. I could survey this room and I'm going to get some different answers and some different views on different things that's going to vary a little bit from person to person. And so now our moral standards is, well, it's righteous, and that's not really what righteousness is. We're just trying to, well, if you believe this and you're nice to people and you do this and this, this, you're, you're a good moral person. Righteousness is based on who God is. He's perfect. He's without sin. So it's not, we don't get to decide what righteousness is. So he's wanting us to train up people in righteousness that points them to Jesus. So righteousness is not only a standard that God can set. He's going over here, Heather. (laughs) I just wanted to aggravate her just a little bit. Sorry. Just let him go. He'll be fine. The worst he's going to do is distract us. <laughs> I, I think it's fine. Just let him be. Hey, dude. Go sit down. <laughs> You're good. Be all right. We're connecting people to the family of God. We're a family. Kids run around and there's kids and families. It'll be all right. So... I got to aggravate Heather a lot last night at the covenant member party, so I'm just continuing that today. It's all good. Our righteousness has to be a standard set on who God is. It can't be based on our own moral things. And so that's really why our preaching has to to be synced up with that. Otherwise, we're going to set a false hope, and then we're going to be held accountable. Paul writes this to the church of Ephesus. or He didn't write this, my bad. This is what he's recorded saying in Acts 20 to the church of Ephesus. He says, How did I shrink, how I did not shrink back from declaring to you every, anything that was profitable 
and teaching you in public from house to house. And now behold that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. He was leaving them. He knew he was going to not, never see them again because he's probably going to die, which he did. He says, therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. This is a huge reason why we preach through books of the Bible 90% of the time. Right now, we are in a thematic series in which we will preach expository sermons within. Okay, so what I mean by that is an expository sermon is where you look at a text and then you exposit it. You dig it, you pull it apart, and all of your points come from within that text. I do not come to the text with a preconceived idea and think, can I find my ideas in that text? That is dangerous. That is not a game I'm going to play. I'm not doing that. What's even worse then is sometimes with these um, topical sermons is that you then just have your ideas. I'm going to give you three C's to a better marriage, and then I got communication and uh, companionship, and I don't know, throw in another C. I don't, I don't do that stuff. Um, so then you got that, and you're like, oh, well, communication. Where can I find a verse that talks about that? And then you come up with some verse, and you take it way out of context, and it doesn't even apply, and then you, you're it's bad. It's just bad and dumb. I'm on Facebook Live. I shouldn't be saying that. I'm going to tick somebody off. <laughs> but the reality is, is if you read James 3, 1, this is why it matters. It says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Dude, I'm a mess. I am already a mess. Like, I, like the idea of God judging me makes me a nervous wreck already a little bit because I know I'm a mess. Thank God for Jesus and all that he's done on the cross and his grace so that I'm not having to be judged by my works. I'm judged by Jesus and his work on the cross and his resurrection. But then the idea that I'm going to be held accountable for everything that I teach, that's a big deal. Guess what? Jeff, Mark, Jeremy, Stephen, Jessica, Brianna, all them who stand up here and lead you in song and liturgy, they're going to be held accountable to a stricter standard. You serve on kids, I see a bunch of the teal shirts, you're going to be held to a higher standard. You lead your MC, held to a higher standard. And the reality is, and each and every one of you are teaching your kids at home, I hope, God's going to hold you accountable. Fill their head with some nonsense. I don't know. That's on you. You're going to stand before his throne. I don't, ain't on me. I want to make sure that I can be like Paul and say, my hands are clean of your blood. So when we preach through the books of the Bible, we don't get to skip things that are hard. We don't get to skip things that might offend you. We just preach the next text. I've had people always say, I have sermons. felt like it was just written just for me. I was like, dude, it's just the next passage up. You can go look. Like, that's Holy Spirit, man. That's what he does. It's what he does. He comes and he, and he just gets us. And so all with the fears and the nerves that comes of preaching, you still have to answer the call to preach. And I say that because if you're in this room and you're wrestling with the call to ministry and you're like, I don't know. No, you got to answer the call. Otherwise you're in sin. And so the next point is this, is preach the word. Just preach the word. You don't have to be fancy. Just preach the word. It's just the word. It's not our observations. It's not some practical suggestions. It's not some acronym for anything else. We can't preach good stuff. We have to preach God stuff. If we're not doing that, we're failing at our job, and that's where you guys come in and you say, hey, this has got to stop. Get it fixed, or we're going to fix it for you. I mean, we're an elder-led church, but you all have responsibilities. 
We have responsibilities. We talked about that last night at the Covenant Member Party too. So we can't just preach whatever we want because God's word, it meets our deepest needs. I don't need to come up with something fancy. I don't need to. Paul charges Timothy to preach the word to men and women, but before God. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge living in the dead. So I'm accountable to you, yes. But ultimately, I'm accountable to him. Because I already read, like, we're going to be held to a stricter judgment. So we are to preach this word and, and, and herald it to everyone. And then know, like, hey, like, this is important. You got to hear this. You got to know this. Why? Why does it matter? Because he tells us, who is to judge the living and the dead and by, the appearing of his, of, by his appearing and his kingdom? See, Jesus is coming back. He's going to judge the living and the dead. So when we preach this stuff, it matters because souls hang in the balance. To get up here and take this lightly would be horrible. Like, it, I couldn't imagine, like, the idea of anyone in this room, anyone watching online, going to hell rips me apart. It breaks my heart. I do not, I cannot fathom it. And so for me to take this lightly and just throw some nonsense together on an iPad and stand up here, I can't. And I shouldn't. There's a warning that Paul even gives in Galatians. He says, but even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed, as we have said before. So now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to one you received, let him be accursed. That's a heavy weight. I don't want to be cursed. I don't, I don't even know like, what that would even look like, but I, I don't want it. Martin Luther wrote this about preaching and teaching. He said, I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. I did nothing. The word did it all. I did nothing. That's what I want. Just, just preach the word. Just preach it the way it's written and to try my best through what God has gifted me to do to pull out the truths that I think will resonate and impact your lives the most. And this is a daunting task. It's hard. It's not easy. There's some weeks I feel dry. There's sometimes it's months. And we all go through the ebbs and flows. That's sanctification. We're never going to just ride this roller coaster straight up to heaven. Like it's going to have some dips and turns and twists. And it's hard. It is. But I can't be lazy in it. Like I said, souls hang in the balance. Like he's telling him, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. There's not a time off. Yeah, we can go on vacation, that's cool, and we need that, we need to rest. You guys should hold us accountable. Hey, you probably need to rest, dude, you've been running too hard. You need to take a break. But we have to be ready in season, out season. When Corey texted me at 11 on Friday, I wasn't like, sorry, dude, I already wrote my sermon. I ain't gonna work for the series we're in. I'm going to breeze, I have to figure it out. I know you're sick. Nope. Stop what, well, I didn't stop what I was doing. I finished my workout. I mean, let's just be real. <laughs> Finished my workout, and then I ate lunch, and then I came up here, worked on my sermon. Saturday morning, I got up, I worked out, came up here, and I just, that's it. I'm like, I'm not leaving until it's done. Like, I got to get this done. And if I wouldn't have had it done, I would have got up even earlier this morning, and I got here, and I would have gotten in my office, and I would have had it done before 9 o'clock. One way or another, like, I'm going to get it done, because that's what we have to do. We have to be ready in season and out of season to do what God has called us to do. And I feel what God has called us to do is to preach the word with a shepherd's heart. Paul writes to do this in season and out of season, to reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Because there will be this time coming where people are going to gather for themselves 
people just to, to fill up what they, their own passions, just to tell them you're right. And, and you can, man. You can find a church to teach to tell you anything you want to find. That's not going to be hard. If you want to find a church that tells you that it's okay to do certain sins, go. They'll find, they're out there. They're in Collinsville. I, I'll, I'll show you if that's really what you want. But I wouldn't go there. If you want a sin that's going to, if you want a church that's going to never tell you that you've sinned, they exist. They're cool. They're cool. You sit in, the, in there. You never have to serve. You never have to be in any type of community. You can just sit there, and they don't hold you any kind of biblical standards. They exist. I'm not going to do that. I want to shepherd you. If God's put you here, I take the responsibility to shepherd you so high. Even if it's people I've met six weeks ago. God placed you here. It's, it's on. Let's go. I'm going to shepherd you. And that's my job. And that means as I preach the word, I have to, to reprove. Sometimes it's like, hey, man, that's not, that's not good. Let's fix this. Let's talk about this. I have to be able to, to correct. I have to be able to exhort you. I mean, this life is difficult, right? Like, it's difficult. So I got to, like, encourage you to continue on. But some people, they don't want that. Like, they go, it goes back to this. There's going to come a time when people will not endure sound teaching. People right now, they look for churches where the preacher is funny, they're smart, witty, amazing communicator, they're real motivating. I'm just not that. I mean, I, I can't pronounce half the names in the Old Testament, so I'm not the brightest. I really ain't. Laugh, y'all know. If you've been here any time, if you've been here a year, you, you've like, whoa, that dude just butchered that. But I learned if I just keep saying it fast enough and never pause, you, you might maybe you said it right. I don't know. Just fake it till you make it, guys. You laugh at that, but most of my jokes you don't laugh at that I like write in as actual jokes. You never laugh at them, so I'm not funny. You just laugh at me when I make fun of myself. So I'm not trying to be a com- comedian. I'm not trying to be a motivational speaker. I'm not trying to give you a TED Talk. I want to shepherd you towards Jesus. That's it. And so I, I truly, that's my, that's my desire because I, I believe according to God's word that he tells us to shepherd the flock among you. And if Corey was preaching today, he was going to preach from 1 Peter 5. And he, he's had this text on his heart since him and Jeff and I, we stood right here there was no carpet. There was, I don't even know if there was drywall yet. And we had came up here with missional community leaders and we were praying over the space. And after everyone left, the three of us stood here and prayed. And, and Corey wrote down 1 Peter 5. I think it's right here on this plywood. He wrote it down because it's talking about shepherding the flock among you. And that's what we're called to do. And preaching is one of the ways that we do that. So it means that we do that with patience. And people don't always respond the way that we tell them to. I don't always respond the way that I'm supposed to. It takes time. So I do it with patience, which comes from the Holy Spirit, because patience is the fruit of the Spirit. And then with patience, not using this pulpit to beat you up, if any of us ever do that, to, like, to use this as like a bully pulpit, then we're wrong and we should be corrected. So we correct, though, as we, as we preach. We're not doing it to pick on people. We correct sinful behaviors, and we encourage you, like I said, to, to go, to charge the gates of hell with all the fear and anxiety that comes with it, but we do it. We just charge together, and we encourage you, like, let's go. Let's do this. See, the world, it's turned from truth. I mean, what Paul has written here, it's so true. We see it. We see it over and over again, and then we know, like, this is coming. And so what I know is that as the world tries to peddle these, this nonsense, what they call truth, it's going to fall apart eventually. Three things are guaranteed in life. Relationships end, things break, and people die. And when that happens, people are going to want truth. 
And the only true truth is Jesus. He's the only one that can comfort. He's the only one that can bring joy. He's the only one that can make sense of the horrible things that happen in this world. And so what I want is that us, as a church, we're found faithful, preaching the word of God, hearing it, and then living it out. That's what I hope. Because there's going to be a day where the influx of seasoned Christians that we're getting is going to slow down. I believe that God is bringing you all here as a remnant of believers. Corey and Jeff and I have talked about this. As a remnant of solid believers who are being drawn here for the purpose of like, we're going to need your help. There's going to be so many people getting saved that we're not going to be able to disciple them all. We need more missional community leaders. We need more people in missional communities to be able to share leadership teams. We need it. God is gathering his people for whatever he's getting ready to do in the Metro East. And so we're going to be found faithful. That's my personal conviction. But my other personal conviction is this. There's no sermon complete without a call to the gospel to respond to it. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand with me. As we wrap this up, there's a few, days, a few ways you can respond. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you've never put your faith in Jesus. You might have grown up in a Christian home. You, you, you know who Jesus is. You've talked about Jesus. You've had Sunday school lessons about him. Cool. I'm glad. That's head knowledge. Has it got to your heart? Have you given your life to Christ? Because the reality is the Bible tells us that you've sinned and I've sinned. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God sent him, he died for us, and all we have to do is confess with our mouth that he is Lord and believe in our hearts that he died and rose again, and you will be saved. So if you're standing there today, and as we're responding by taking communion, maybe you just need to pray. If you're not a Christian, this is not for you, but it can be by simply praying and surrendering to God and placing your faith in him. If you're here today and you're a believer, you're like, man, I haven't been even taking the word serious like David's talked about, then confess that to him before you come and take communion. And then you can respond by taking communion. I'm going to pray for us. And then you can come up here. There's going to be a diagram of how to flow. Like we, we need to like file that. Otherwise, you're going to be bumping into one another. It's going to get all wild and crazy. And we, don't, we just want to take communion. We don't want to do all that. So there's going to be people up here serving you. There's a gluten-free option for anyone who needs that on the center table. But I'm going to pray over us. And then let's just respond and, and just rejoice in what God has done for us by his sending his son to die in our place. God, thank you for even, you're so good, and yet you chose to use me to preach your word. Um, so God, I thank you. I thank you for these people that I get to preach to. Lord, I pray that all of us together, we will just stay so true to your word for your glory and for the sake of the souls that hang in the balance. And I pray there's the people here that don't know you. Lord, I pray right now you're convicting them. Your Holy Spirit is working, softening their hearts. Lord, and they will, they will give their life to you. They won't let anything get in the way. God, we praise you for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11 concerning communion. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on that night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Mm-hmm.